What's up, everybody? It's Jeremy, and I am back with episode number 15 of How to Survive in a Family Business Without Losing Your Mind. Today is July 29th, 2020. A few weeks ago, I got a chance to hop on a Zoom call with my wife's uncle, or my uncle-in-law, if you will, Dennis Erickson. It was a great interview, especially for this podcast, since he has worked with family for most of his life. He started out working with his brother Johnny in their band Green Catherine. When he realized that they weren't going to hit it big as musicians, he moved to the Bay Area and founded the first ever free magazine, BAM, which stands for Bay Area Music, as well as the Bay Area Music Awards, the BAMIs. He's also had a hand in several other businesses along the way and has spent time working not only with his brother, but with his wife Lori, Lori's siblings, and all of his children, not to mention my wife, Stacy, who is his niece. We discussed his background as well as what it's like working with all sorts of different family members and how much he enjoyed it. I really appreciated him taking the time out of his day to talk to me. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dennis Erickson. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so you start with Green Catherine. Yeah. And that was... Who was in that? You and your brother? Yeah, I was, my brother and I were musicians as teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, and I just knew what a great guitarist he was. Mm-hmm. Sweet Johnny Guitar. I, I wanted to be in a band with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we played all over the country, had a fantastic time. And he was a really good guy to work with. Because, you know, we got used to the fact that in rock bands, some people can get you know, way over the top in terms of either ego or drug use. Yeah. And Johnny wasn't either of those. He was just really good. And, and also you... the other thing is that my uncle Chris, who ran Newport Music in Newport, Rhode Island, one of the first people he hired way, way back, you know, when, when he was beginning opening up his company was his brother, Johnny, who then, you know, uh, worked, they worked together for, for decades. So in my brain, it always seemed like you're supposed to work with your you know, your family. brother or your family, sure. but especially with your brother. Yeah. And you played bass, right? I played bass, yeah. yeah. How'd you decide or when did you decide that you wanted to start a business? Well, the, the first thing was, when did I decide to get out of the band? And uh, we, were, we, were in the, uh, we were in upstate New York somewhere. And the girl that I loved that I would eventually marry a few years later, Lori, came out to visit us in, in New York. And as I was kind of thinking it through, I realized, you know what, this isn't going to go anywhere. You know, we've done this for like six years played all over the country and we're still just playing nightclubs. And so I told the guys in the band that it was time for me to, to go get a job. And so I uh, worked for my uncle for a little while. And then uh, Lori and I drove back to California. And then we worked together in a uh, guitar string company called Dean Markley Strings. And that's when I realized that I liked running a business mm-hmm. and I felt comfortable with it. But I had this thing in my brain about what I, re- what I wanted to do. So uh, I got to do that. What did you, what was that? What did you want? Well, to do? what that was, was, you know, I was, I, I love to read and I love music. So I was really reading Rolling Stone from when it started and mm-hmm. all the other music magazines that were out there and, you know, up and down the whole country reading them, et cetera. But one of the things that I, I you know, I, I had, I thought that the Bay Area, and by the way, this was right when the Bay Area music scene was exploding. So, so there was some opportunities there to just talk about the Bay Area music scene. Mm-hmm. And the way I, my brain works is I, I come up with some thing, some additional thing that changes what's ahead. And I did that a few times in my life. And this is the first time that I did it where I thought, you know what? I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. And reading a book, I checked a book out of the library on how to start 
music magazine or how to start magazines uh -huh. and it said you needed two million dollars i thought darn i don't have two million dollars i don't even have any money you know you know just running a guitar string company and making not very much money but when i read the spreadsheet on what the, the two million dollars was for something like 1.6 or 1.7 million dollars of all that was advertising to convince people to pay the dollar 99 to buy the magazine and then there was a hundred thousand dollars of you know knowledge of the industry and i said okay mm -hmm. i got that so there was this 1.6, 1.7 million dollars, and I thought, you know what? If I gave the magazine away for free, then I wouldn't need that 1.6 million dollars. Right. And so what I did was I started the first free magazine at, mm -hmm. uh, and changed the publishing industry. I didn't know I was going to change the publishing yeah. industry, and that led to a few problems also. You know, <laughs> but still, I changed the publishing industry, and uh, the first issue took off like a rocket. It was fantastic, and you know, we just kept growing and growing and it was a great experience. And that's where, you know, I was working with Lori and that's when the first, again, working with a, a family member, we needed people to distribute the magazine, right. which meant that they had to be really dependable people who would distribute the magazine and not just take it to the city dump and throw it all away. Mm -hmm. You know, they would take it to various places and make sure that the place wanted the magazine, et cetera. And talking this through, I had this great conversation with my brother, Johnny, who had come back from, you know, like a year or so later after me, come back from the East Coast where the band had still continued to play. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for a job and we talked it over and he said, okay, I'll help you distribute your magazine. Mm -hmm. So Johnny and I figured it out, planned it out. It was a great experience. And he was just, he just had distribution of one area in, in uh, uh, you know, the East Bay, mm -hmm. East Bay of California. And uh, East Bay of San Francisco, California. Yeah. And, um, and he was doing a really great job of it. He was making sure that, you know, like Tower Records was getting the copies that he needed. And he mm -hmm. would talk to them and he would deliver them, not just drop them off on the, you know, the front door, but actually bring them in and put them together, et cetera. And I was just really loving the fact that I was working with my brother. And the person who was running the distribution for us, or the distribution division, really was like losing their interest. They just, it didn't excite them so much. Mm -hmm. So, so the person came in and said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. Goodbye. And um, so I thought for a little while and I think Lori and I talked a little bit and then uh, I went and talked to Johnny and I said, would you like to, to run the distribution company? That means that you will be doing less distributing yourself, but you'll be in charge of making sure that throughout the whole, you know, initially the Bay area, but eventually the whole state of California, because the Los Angeles uh, music stores wanted BAM there also. So we started distributing in LA also. And Johnny took that and became my uh, my distribution manager and one of the most important people in the company. And uh, it was a great experience to to work together. And part of the great experience was that I didn't have to watch over him, right. which meant that we could have a discussion, we could have a talk, you know, like once a month mm -hmm. to make sure that everything was going well. And then he'd be busy and I'd be busy and we wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to be sitting there staring at him and making sure that he was getting the job done because he did get the job done. And we eventually had the uh, couple of hundred thousand copies up and down the, the West coast. And we were the, the strongest music magazine in, in uh, California and uh, started putting on the Bay Area music awards. And uh, you know, it was just a great experience. And so much of it was because of being able to count on my brother to do the distribution because really, with a magazine, especially a free magazine, distribution is the most important thing other than editorial. Sure. 
and Lori was working on the editorial side uh, with the editorial team. So, you know, I had this great person distributing and he was my brother. Very cool. I also know that like Sally worked there before as well. Yep. And I think Kathy said maybe she had worked, worked there or yes. some other, who, who else in your family has worked there besides your brother well, and Lori? As you were saying, you know, Lori's sister Sally worked at BAM for, for quite a while. Kathy worked there for a while. Their brother Stephen came in and, and did some work. So I, you know, I, I'm a big Michael. fan. I'm a big fan of the the Engelfried family. So I just sure. wanted to keep working with them. And Michael, he he did distribution, right? Right. And so did Stephen. And yeah, so Michael and Stephen, Lori's brothers, were both distributors for us and did distribution. And again, did a great job. And Lori's brother Bruce worked for Drum Tobacco, which worked with us. So we it was just. You know, it was like a it was like a family enterprise. Even though sure. it was way more than that, there were you know we had yeah. like a hundred people working at at BAM, and that's really one of the great things about working with family if it works that way. And I can't guarantee anybody right it's going to work that way, but I could count on them. Mm-hmm. And they were they were really good, solid people. And you have that inherent trust that you've had for your whole life that you already know who they are. Right. So you don't right. have to you don't have to meet somebody new and and try to to get try, to know them. Yeah. Right. Whether you can trust them or not, because you already yeah. know that. Yeah. And of course, many, many years later, uh, Kathy's daughter, Stacy, worked for us mm-hmm. for, a, for a while. And that was wonderful, too. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of and her. And so did all my kids. <laughs> Talk a little bit more, I guess, about the dynamics of working with all those people. I know that, you know, it's it's nice because you get to trust them, but there's it's not everything's not always smooth sailing, I'm sure. Well, no. And, and the important thing is, and... Um, this was important, I realized this in advance, was to make sure that every single family member that was working at, at BAM and working with me understood what their role was and what it wasn't. And it was very clear, I made sure that, you know, again, Johnny ran my dis- distribution department. It was one of the biggest parts, most essential parts of the company, of the magazine. Mm-hmm. And yet he and I had a deal, meaning we talked it through, where he wasn't thinking that he was running the company, he was running the distribution division. And we had a good, solid talk about that so that he and I both understood what he was going to do, what I was going to do, and what, you know, we could trust each other on. Mm-hmm. And an important part of trust is explaining to each other what the rules are and what the, the boundaries are. And if both people can smile and nod and look each other in the eye and say, I got it, then you, you're a lot farther along. And that's, that's one of the tough things with working with family oh, is yeah. sometimes you, you, don't, you don't go to that effort and you don't work on really trying to establish what each of you is doing. And that can be a disaster. Uh-huh. They mm-hmm. don't get a pass. They have right. to do their job. And the fact of the matter is, again, because everybody in the company looks at the family members and says they're family. Mm-hmm. So if they're not doing a good job, then everybody in the company is disrespects yeah. the president owner, especially mm-hmm. because the family members aren't doing a good job. And that's why, one, I was so lucky that my family members were of that level that they could do the job. But two, that each of us, each of us, one-on-one, had a discussion on what was expected and how it was going to be done. And that's what we did. And it worked great because, again, each member of the family was somebody who, who was dependable and, you know, did things the right way. Yeah. 
I know she's sitting right behind you, so don't don't get yourself in trouble. But uh, how what's it like working with your wife, or which you probably was she your girlfriend when you guys started? We we started out by not being married. You're right. Uh-huh. Here's the interesting thing: Lori and I have two sets of talents. Mm-hmm. My talent is the big picture, mm-hmm. and that's that's what my brain always is. I'm so bad at little picture stuff. I'm so good at the big picture, and in fact, bigger than the big picture. Again, like coming up with the concept of free distribution of a magazine, which didn't exist right. until until bam. So that's where my brain is. What Lori is fantastic about is she can get right down to the details and she remembers things and makes sure things happen. And I could just count on her to get all of her parts done. So it was, it was fantastic. And, and by the way, you know, we've been married ever since and mm-hmm. we still share those, you know, I'm still the big picture guy and she still makes sure <laughs> everything gets done. Yeah. So you said at the, at the beginning, you know, you, you started the first free, magazine and that that caused some disruption obviously i'm sure yeah it didn't take too long interestingly enough by changing the distribution method i took you know 1.6 1.7 million dollars off the startup budget Mm -hmm. well that was great for me but unfortunately that meant that other people could then do the same thing Mm -hmm. so around the country people started first free music magazines but then eventually you know free magazines in general yeah but within a year, I had two competitors doing free music magazines in the Bay Area. Two hmm. competitors. And that was terrifying. So what I did then, and while he, he wasn't family, we felt like, I felt like he was my, uh, my, my uncle. Bill Graham, the concert promoter, was the biggest concert promoter in the country. And he you know, had great buildings that he was putting on shows. And he put on shows all over the country and took the Rolling Stones out of San Francisco, based in San Francisco. He took the Rolling Stones on tour around America, around the world. I mean, you know, he was just huge. Well, I thought, you know what? I need a mentor. And by the, by the way, back then in the, in the 60s, the, I don't think the word mentor even existed. So what I needed was someone I could ask questions <laughs> of. Uh-huh. And, um, and I thought, you know, the person highest on my list, I, put, I made a list actually. And the person highest on my list was Bill Graham, the concert promoter. And I thought, how could I ever you know, do that? Well, by then, BAM was about six or seven months old and people reading it, gobbling it up. And I was hearing from people who work for Bill. And these are the people who went on to become huge concert promoters themselves, but they were, you know, they were working for Bill and they were making sure that I knew that they were reading my magazine. So I thought, oh, you know, because they just, that's how their brains work. So I contacted a couple of them and said, do you think that Bill would be willing to let me ask him questions? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want you to do that. Wednesday afternoon is the worst day of our week because Bill has nothing to do and we're getting ready for the weekend. <laughs> so we're really working hard. And he makes us come in and he tells us stories. So if you could just come in on a Wednesday afternoon, that'd be so great. So that very next Wednesday, I drive to San Francisco park the car, walk up the stairs, scared, and walk in the door. And a couple of the people in the front door there, I tell them who I am. And they say, yeah, come on. We know you're supposed to be here today. Mm -hmm. Bill doesn't know, they said, but we know. And they took me and brought me to Bill's office. They opened the door, kind of pushed me in. Bill looks up with an eyebrow that I can't even do, but he (laughs) could do it so great. And he said, yeah, what do you want? And I said, well, I'm, I'm Dennis Eric and I run BAM Magazine. And, and I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions. And all of a sudden, this big smile comes on his face. And he says, sure, have a seat. 
And so I sit down and I ask him questions. And my main question that I want to ask him is what do I do about these competitors that I now have? Because Bill has dealt with competitors over and over again in his life. So Bill said, you have to think of something that puts you past them. You, you did it once before by coming up with the idea of a free magazine, but now you've got competitors doing that. You've got to think of something that comes up that puts you past them. I said, you come back next week with your idea. And I said, okay. So I came back next week with an idea that I'd had since high school, which was wow. to give awards to the great musicians of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to Bill and I said, well, my, my idea is that I, I'd love to give awards away to the great musicians in the Bay Area. And I was wondering if you could help me. And he says, yeah. And he says, what are you going to call it? And I said, um, I'm thinking about calling it the Bay Area Music Awards. He says, great, we're doing it. And from then on, Bill was my partner in the nonprofit award show, the Bammies. Mm-hmm. But the other amazing thing is, he said, now what you do is you go get some press. You tell the various newspapers and TV shows that you're going to be putting on this show. I said, okay. So I did. I called them and told them, and they all interviewed me. And when the first show happened, the first Bammies, which was like, two months after I came up with the idea. So that's how quick it is when Bill works with you. Two months after Bill started helping me, we put on the Bammies. I walk out there in a tuxedo. By the way, Bill told me I was supposed to wear a tuxedo. So I wear a tuxedo. I come out, I talk to the audience, they cheer. I tell them who I am, et cetera, and how great it is that we're doing this whole thing. The next day, well, even that night, all the news shows had me on, on the news, on TV, the, the various newspapers wrote about me for the next few days. And by the end of the next month, both my competitors were going out of business because everybody wanted to advertise in BAM, which was putting on this big show. So Bill was so right. Now, the amazing thing is that many of the people that worked for those two magazines ended up working for me because you know they knew how to work a magazine now. So I had some of those people, I worked with them for the next 20 years. Yeah, that's very cool. You kind of touched on it already, I guess, but if you had to pick one thing that's your favorite part about working with all these different people that were part of your family or part of Lori's family, what's your, I guess, your favorite part of all of that? Well, my favorite part of it was especially watching each and every one of them grow. That was such a wonderful feeling. Not only did I get to watch, you know, Lori's sister Sally and, and Kathy, who seemed to already be kind of in charge of herself and she knew what she was doing but Stephen and Michael because Michael was just full of energy even though he was a young kid almost he was so full of energy and to watch them grow and of course my brother you know who was this great lead guitarist but now was running the biggest free magazine distribution company in the country and he was doing it so well and he had so many people working for him and he was just in charge of it so brilliantly and so dependably that it was just wonderful and then I got to watch my kids, you know, and they got to grow also. And, um, you know, one of the, the things that I remember is one of the very first Bammies, one of the very first Bay Area Music Awards. I, I had all four of the kids, well, as soon as they could walk and talk, right. um, you know, help out a little bit. And I think Darcy, my, uh, my second daughter, was probably like nine years old. And I had her and Lainey, my older daughter, who was probably 10 or 11 years old, backstage just watching to make sure that the musicians knew where to walk through to get to the to the stage mm-hmm. and Huey Lewis in the news was supposed to be on relatively soon and they were nowhere to be found and I was backstage and I was talking to a few of the people that actually worked for me who weren't little kids mm-hmm. and saying you know where's Huey Lewis in the news we got to get him up here they're going to be up in a couple of minutes and what I didn't see 
was Darcy, nine-year-old Darcy, run, because she knew exactly what backstage room Huey Lewis the News was in, because she had seen them go in there, you know, an hour earlier. Mm -hmm. She knocked on the door, they opened it, she told them, I'm here to take you to the stage. Nine-year-old Darcy. <laughs> she said, okay. So Lori's saying she was even younger, so she might have been eight uh, or seven. Sure. No matter what, what I see next is Huey walking with the band behind him, holding the hand of this little girl who is walking them to the stage. <laughs> it's such an incredible moment for yeah. me to know that I could count on my kids too. Yeah. And, uh, and so she walked them out on stage. So I let her go out on the stage, but she didn't even, you know, make a big deal about that. She just walked them out on stage and then walked back into the backstage area. So that was a, that was an incredible moment also. Now, did you had, I know because Stacy told me she did, but you also had a lot of family work at placement group too, right? Yeah, we had a number of people uh, working at placement group, you know, of our family. Here's the weird thing, and I was either smart about this or not smart about this, but <laughs> whatever. One of the things that I had been a part of was something called the Alliance of Chief Executives. So I, I was, you know, on monthly meetings with lots of CEOs and we would talk through our concerns, our issues, et cetera, full day, once a month. And one of the things that happened over and over again was people who were the sons or daughters of the founder of the company. And now they were my age mm -hmm. and they were wishing they hadn't taken over their father's company because mm -hmm. it was not their thing. You know, they just did it because they felt that they were supposed to do it. Right. And this was amazing because I had always assumed that, that that was what everyone wanted, was they wanted their kids to take over the company after them. The kids were glad to take over the company after them and maybe, you know, hand it off to their kids. Yeah. So I was so surprised when over and over again, I would hear the same from different people, the same thing, which was, you know, I, I had to do it because my dad expected me to, but I wish that I didn't have to because I ended up running his company. I never felt comfortable there. I felt like I had other ideas that I wanted to do that I couldn't do. And basically, I feel like I wasted my life. Mm -hmm. So with that, hearing that over and over again, I wanted to make sure that, that my kids especially, but also my family members didn't feel obligated that they were going to have to run the company after me. So I made sure that the jobs they had in my brain, and again, my problem is that I always like think things through and, okay, we're going to do it this way or that way. So I would make sure that, that they didn't expect that they were going to run the company after me. And in fact, that, you know, I wanted to make sure that they knew that there may not be a company after me. I may sell it, you know, in which case sure. they'd really be in trouble. So that was part of my, my thinking with each, you know, with each family member was to make sure that they knew that this was just the next step for them, but it wasn't the final step for them because they were all in their 20s right. you know, or, or teens, but definitely 20s. And, you know, why do that to somebody? So what, um, I actually don't know as much about placement group. What, what exactly did you guys do there? Well, the interesting thing is something that I had read early on about journalists is that most journalists don't stay journalists their entire lives. Some do, hmm. but many of them at some point or other switch over to public relations, which means working with journalists to get a story placed in other places. When I saw toward the end of the century, the beginning of the, of the next century, that magazines were headed for a cliff. And, you know, I, I, I was seeing something that was at least, you know, 10 years in the future. But again, my brain works like that, where I see things, 
and to me they're right now or they're real or I don't want to deal with it. You know, I mean, no, I do want to deal with it now. So what I did was I, um, I sold all my magazines. And by then I had a bunch of magazines, including the eighth largest computer magazine in the country, Microtimes. And, you know, we were doing great. I owned a couple of different magazines, uh, music magazines around the country that were like BAM, one in Chicago, one in Seattle, The Rocket. And I sold all my magazines, except I didn't sell BAM because I just felt like I was going to put that away, but I didn't want to sell the one that started it all. But I sold all the other ones. And then I started a PR company. And the way I did that was one of my friends who ran a PR company was looking for, for help in running his business because he wasn't really good at running a business. And so I helped him and eventually took it over and, uh, and we grew it pretty big. We had clients you know, up and down the West Coast and uh, all over the country. And, and again, the way my brain works, you know, I like to look for niches that are available. So that's why you know, when my first magazine was a music magazine, but it was specifically a Bay Area music magazine. Mm-hmm. My award show was a Bay Area award show initially because I couldn't compete against the Grammys. Right. And I could sure as heck have the Bay Area Music Award mm-hmm. show. And so it was the same thing here again. I thought, you know what? There are all these cities around the country that need to be promoted and get publicity and let people know that they're there. And it would be great to have one agency that does that. So that became the placemaking group. And we had cities, you know, so many cities. All over the, all over the country. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So working with all this family, what was... <laughs> What's your least favorite thing about that? You know, that's interesting. What's my least favorite thing about working with my family? What I didn't want anyone to think was that they had special deals that meant that they didn't have to do the work that other people had to do. And so I made sure that my family did marvelous work, that they got the job done so that there wasn't this, you know, because I had a lot, I had a couple hundred people working for me. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't want was um, people saying, oh, you know, uh, that person that's, you know, that's related to Dennis, she or he just comes into the office and smokes cigars and drinks coffee and then <laughs> leaves and doesn't do anything. By the yeah. way, there's no one that did either of those right. things. But, um, yeah, well, they drank coffee, but they didn't smoke cigars. <laughs> but anyhow, um, that was the thing that I was most worried about. And so I made sure that that didn't happen. I made sure that it was obvious how good the work was that they were doing. And, and I would make sure that each one of them knew that they weren't coming in to lead a department. Because that's another thing that, you know, some parents do for their kids is they bring them in and say, okay, you're in charge of this department before they've even done the work. So every one of my relatives and my family knew that they had to start at a bottom level and work their way up. That's good. If you can give yourself advice before starting any of these companies, if you go either before or right at the beginning of BAM or placement group or any, any of the companies you started, you could go back to the very beginning and not necessarily change anything, but just give yourself some advice that would help you out along the way. Uh, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Or even if you were starting a company today? The, the bit of advice that I always tried to make sure was that I had somebody that could get the job done. I knew that like, you know, we haven't even talked about the fact that then I, after placemaking group, I took over a, a theater in, in Lafayette, California that was just hanging on by its fingernails. And, and again, seeing the big picture, what I saw was that every local theater company uh, had one person teaching students, one person. And I thought, you know, if they could just put an entire curriculum together and have a bunch of teachers and have an actual curriculum in an actual school, that could actually make money. And that changed the town hall theater 
in Lafayette from barely hanging on to having enough money year after year. So the thing that, that, I would, that I tell myself before I start any project is to make sure that there's somebody that can actually get the job done. Because again, I'm coming in with a big picture, you know, and Lori was there at, at the town hall theater, luckily enough. So there was, you know, that personal connection again. Mm -hmm. But the important thing was that, that I see this for myself each time is that not only is there a big picture, not only is there a big, you know, vision, but there has to be the people to get the job done because if they're not there, it doesn't get done. And so that's been the advice that I give to myself every single time is if they're not there, I'm not there. Okay. All right. Last question or almost the last question. I'm almost done. <laughs> almost the last question. Which of your children are you proudest of? I'm just kidding. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Say, I'm sure all of say, them. Yeah. I was going to say, I am most proud of all four of my children. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all very successful, at least from what I've seen. They're all very, yeah. very successful. They're and wonderful. Very, and they're, yeah. doing a gr they're doing great things with their careers and their lives. So that mm -hmm. is an absolute delight yeah. as a dad. The real last question should be pretty easy, but it's, uh, or maybe not. I'm trying to ask you a question you've probably never been asked before. And so I'm going to ask you, what uh, is your favorite bridge in the country? Ooh, my favorite bridge in the country. That's a good one. You know, the Golden Gate Bridge to me was, was the one that, that mattered so much because I, you know, I, I've lived with bridges my entire life. I was born in right outside of Istanbul, Turkey, and mm -hmm. uh, there was a bridge there. I, uh, then my mom and dad, my mother was Greek Bostonian, so we moved to Boston and there was, you know, there was a great bridge there that I would see. But this Golden Gate Bridge would just kind of talk to me as a kid. And then when my dad said, we're moving to San Jose, California, my first thought was how exciting we're moving to Hollywood. And, <laughs> and then I went and looked at the, we had a, you know, big globe, which because back then that's how people, you know, yeah. saw where they were. It was on a globe or a map. So I went to the globe and looked at it and saw that San Jose was at least a half inch away from, yeah. from, from Los Angeles. Right. But what I saw was it was right next to San Francisco and my mm -hmm. eyes grew wide and said, the Golden Gate Bridge. So there you go. And <laughs> I used to cross it because, you know, I had a lot of friends in, in Marin, uh, mm -hmm. especially, you know, during the music time, which was, you know, the whole BAM time. Sure. Uh, so that was definitely part of my life. How about you? What's your favorite bridge? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't have that many to look at. I, you know, I've always been in the Bay Area, so it, you know, the Bay Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, the Richmond Bridge, they're all Bay. I mean, I always, I like the Golden Gate Bridge too. You know, we took our wedding or engagement photos out in front of it. I've always, yeah, I've just yeah. always liked the way it looked. I've, I've only walked it once or twice, uh -huh. but I've always, I always liked the way that looks. And I always love, I always love to see that in like a movie or in a TV show where they pan over the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm like, yeah. oh, they're, they're here. They're where we are. Yeah. And so that's what I've always loved about the Golden Gate Bridge too. That's great. Okay, that's just about it. Is there anything to the, whoever's going to listen, whether it's 20 or 50,000 people that are going to listen to this? I don't know how many will, but is there anything that you would like to say or promote to them? Well, just people? that I got to work with and then watch my kids, Lainey, Darcy, Will, and Miranda, work with me and then take their careers and do wonderful things with them. So that was a complete and utter parental exciting moment in my life. And by moment, I mean lots of moments. And so that's, that's what I think. And, and other than that, uh, 
Here's looking at you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time, Dennis. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. Well, that's going to be it for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with somebody else that would get some value out of it. I want to thank Dennis again for taking some time to let me interview him. I'm always looking for more good guests like Dennis. So if you or someone you know is interested in being interviewed or you have some constructive feedback for me, please hit me up on Anchor. DM me on Twitter at JMF Rosenblatt, on Instagram at the real Jeremy Rosenblatt, or you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back in a few weeks.